He was sitting in the lounge of the Empire Hotel. He was drinking for diversion. He was thinking for himself. A little money riding on the maple leaves. Along comes a lady in lacy sleeves. She says, Let me sit down. You know, drinking alone's a shame. It's a shame. It's a crime shame. Welcome to episode 69 of the Lightning Round Podcast, the daily podcast brought to you by ourselves. I am Alex Baker, alongside my co-host Dan Leica, who has recently gotten his second vaccine dose. Dan, tell the people how you're doing. Uh, not good at all. Not good at all. Um, just have been completely out of commission all day long. Um, I suppose, you know, this is better um, than not being vaccinated whatsoever so this is just yeah. kind of the pain that you have to take but you know I'm, I'm happy to get it all out of the way and then starting to feel a little bit better as we mm-hmm. head into nighttime and then yeah hopefully hopefully that goes away soon and now i'm all vaccinated yeah yeah i'm sure it will if, if you're like the millions of others who have you know gotten their vaccines um i'm so, built different <laughs> yeah yeah i guess we'll see time will tell uh and uh we'll We'll be able to update this space tomorrow on tomorrow's episode. That is um, true. But just wanted to give all the listeners the context. So if we are not our normal standard crappy selves, um, if we're even worse than usual, you know why. <laughs> you didn't think it was possible. <laughs> but uh, here we are. Oh, there's no excuse for you. I mean, yeah, no, no, I got to I got to I got to put the pot on my shoulders here. You got to carry I'll do my right best. Now um dan before we get to our topic today do you have any other news and notes that you want to get to or should we dive into the deep dive uh absolutely nothing like i said i've just been yeah. kind of cooped up all day trying to stay away from sunlight or any any sort of light any sort of screen so i've just been kind of hiding in darkness all day oh man oh man <laughs> yeah all right. Well, it's Wednesday. Wednesday is kind of a hodgepodge of different things that we want to do. It'll be reviews, deep dives, uh, things of that nature. So it's my topic that I get to bring today. Uh, Dan, I want to talk about the D.B. Cooper mystery. Are you familiar with this mystery? The mystery of D.B. Cooper? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I was I was going to try to, you know, make something up regarding... Uh, who D.B. Cooper could have possibly been, but I honestly have no clue. And unfortunately, like we talked about, just not not operating at full efficiency. I don't yeah. I don't have a made up story regarding him. So so who is this? Who is or or her? Who is D.B. Cooper? What what is the mystery? Well, this mystery is one of the largest and longest FBI manhunts in history. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to go through the story with you, the story, the theories. Uh, And as I tell you the story, feel free to interrupt at any time, ask a clarifying question, offer some input that you have. And we're just going to do a deep dive on the D.B. Cooper mystery. I'm very excited. I, I, you know, everybody loves a long and large man hunt. And uh, yeah. All right. What do you got? Okay, well, I would just, uh, before I get started, I will mention that I got uh, uh, all of my information from uh, citizensleuths.com, 
wikipedia.com. And uh, last night I watched a great documentary on this mystery with my girlfriend, uh, The Mystery of D.B. Cooper on HBO, which I will put links uh, in the description so you can uh, kind of follow along there as well if you are interested and want to, to get a better account of this story than the one that I'm about to offer. But I'll do my best here. So, Dan, you're going to do great. Believe let me in set yourself. the scene. I, I, I do. And I will. Uh, so we're in the Pacific Northwest in like the washington oregon area exactly in fact okay. more specifically we are at the portland airport okay. on november 23rd 1971 and uh we are about to board a flight we collectively the audience here yep uh so are, are we smoking on the plane that was still allowed back yes, then it was in fact okay. some evidence in this case has to do with eight cigarette butts that Ooh. were left by one db cooper dan okay. cooper see as it's well. a good i'm asking the right question here <laughs> i'm on to you Al. you are you are so anyway dan cooper he buys a plane ticket ticket from portland to seattle uh which is a 30 minute flight um so not too long. It's about uh, fl- flying from Omaha to, to Minneapolis. I've, I've had a 30-minute flight before. Uh, so 30 minutes is how long it normally takes. It's, it's not that full of a flight. There's about 30 people on board, all, all, all told, all said. Uh, so he boards. He's sitting kind of in the back of the plane. And he's wearing some dark sunglasses and it's, you know, on a flight. He's, he's one of those people uh, to, to conceal his identity. <laughs> And as they as they're prepping for takeoff, he hands a note to a flight attendant Uh-oh. and she thinks, oh, this is just some businessman who's lonely. He's just passing me his phone number. So she she just puts it in her purse. Uh-huh. But he he then says to her, quote, miss, you'd better look at that note. I have a bomb. Uh-huh. And so he in the, the note says, you know, why, why don't you come sit with me? And basically, he hijacks the plane, um, not by getting in the cockpit or anything like that, but just, you know, by having a bomb on the plane, you're you're kind of taking control um, as you as you do when you uh, when you have something like that. We've you all kinda, been there. You, you kind of take there. control of a situation. So he he makes some demands. Uh, once the plane reaches Seattle, he wants to receive two hundred thousand dollars in negotiable American currency. Uh, he wants four parachutes uh, to be uh, delivered to him, given to him, and he wants uh, refueling tanks there on standby to 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 fuel up the plane again. Um, so they take off from Portland at two fifty, and as they communicate these demands, they kind of have to circle around a lot, so they don't actually land in Seattle until about 5 40 p.m so it's normally a 30 minute flight ends up taking almost three hours long and the people you know the the pilots inform the rest of the people on board that there's some maintenance issues and that's why they can't land uh mm-hmm. at, at first uh so it's kind of interesting looking at the interviews as people deboard and the situation is unfolding you know the people didn't even realize the plane had been hijacked when you know when they landed and got off it was interesting to see those interviews they were like oh i i guess it was that guy back that like you know when you hijack your planes would you (laughs) rather have it so that people knew that they were being hijacked or kind of how he did it where you know you keep it nice and subtle i think there's 
something to that, but I'd rather have everybody, you know, just kind of be in on that, that journey let's, with me. Let's all be on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. I think there's something to be said to discretion as far as like, you could avoid any, like anyone trying to play hero or, you know, mm-hmm. more chaos ensuing. So that this was actually, I would really... not be trying to play hero, but <laughs> yeah, no, I stay out of that. Mind I would your business. <laughs> I would just cry. Uh, yeah. no, <laughs> I yeah. wouldn't mind my own business. Like, <laughs> Guys, can we quiet down? I'm watching a movie here. Um, well, that that's the thing that they commented on was his calm demeanor. Uh, the, the flight attendants who were interviewed, everybody like that. What they mentioned was that he was never cruel. He was never mean. He never like was violent or anything like that. He was just a man with a bomb and just kind of calm and, uh, you know, went, went about his time. So the this was a Northwest Airlines. Um, uh, I guess I hadn't mentioned that detail yet, but basically the decision was made by the FBI and by Northwest Airlines. Like, we're not going to interfere with this guy. We're just going to let him kind of do his thing. We don't want anybody to get hurt. He asked for four parachutes and that leads people to believe Maybe he's going to try to take a make a hostage jump with him or something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, but what that also ensured was that the FBI and the people who were supplying the equipment to him were not going to pull a fast one on him and like give him faulty equipment or something like right. that because they you know they did they wouldn't want to risk someone um, you know uh, getting hurt. So um, once they land in Seattle, he's given the money. He's given the parachutes. Uh, they're nice. refueling, and he works with the pilots. To they say, okay, well, where where do you want to go? <laughs> and so uh-huh. he says, uh, I want you to fly me to Mexico City, and uh, it, uh, I need you to fly at ten thousand feet in the air with uh, an uncompressed cabin at the minimum airspeed possible. And they're like, oh, well, we won't be able to make it to Mexico City you know, under those conditions. So we'll need to stop to Reno in Reno to, to refuel for that. And he was like, mm-hmm. all right, fine, cool. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll work with that. So at seven forty PM, uh, they take off. Uh, I like that detail, right? <laughs> yeah. I, it tells you a lot about a person because there are some people where you tell them they have to spend some time in Reno and they're going <laughs> to snap. They're going to snap. It's over. You know, that but bomb is can, going off. Tell, this guy had some conviction to his plan if he's willing to have a, you know, layover in Reno. Yeah. Yeah. So at eight o'clock, he tells the flight. Att- so everybody, I, I maybe didn't make this part clear that when they landed in Seattle, he let everybody get off. Like everybody can go except the pilots and one flight attendant. I just need you to hang back with me, but everybody else you can get off. So it's like not a violent situation or, or anything like that anymore. Like nobody else is really in imminent danger other than of course the, the three people working on the airline there. Um, so at eight o'clock, about 20 minutes after takeoff, he tells the flight attendant uh, to head into the cockpit. He's got it from here. Uh, he was, he was opening the the back stair doors uh-huh. of, of the airplane to, to jump out and uh, at 8.13, the tail section sustained a sudden upward movement, which they kind of surmised, okay, he, I think that was him jumping out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, at 10.15 p.m., uh, the plane lands in Reno. They search the plane, confirm, no more Dan Cooper on board. Uh, so now they have to, they have to scramble because when, uh, when they were uh, doing the flight, uh, unbeknownst to Dan Cooper, there were two uh, 
military fighter jets tailing the airplane the entire time, kind of uh-huh. monitoring the situation. But at 813, you know, during the jump, they didn't pick anything up on radar or see anybody jump from the huh. plane. So it's a little mysterious there. But sure. that's probably due to it being A, nighttime, and B, uh, it was it was very poor conditions it was rainy it was stormy and it's you know late november in the pacific northwest so conditions are not the best you know we talked recently uh to mike mo from washington he spoke mm-hmm. to the rainy climate up there and how that can uh, get in the way so Shout now to the hollow hollow region <laughs> now the, the focus turns to okay this is a tricky situation because he could he could be anywhere right so now they're looking for people with this with the same name. Okay, he, so he bought a ticket using the the name Dan Cooper. So immediately they start looking for other people with that same name in the area, and that's really uh-huh. not turning up anything. Um, but what 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 uncovers next is the most extensive recovery operation, you know, to date. And so they're scouring the woods area near Mount Saint Helens, which is where they estimate he he jumped out. Uh-huh. Um, and so they're scoping out that area. And during the, the weeks following that, they uncover a skeletal, a skeleton, skeletal remains. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, that is of Barbara Ann Dreary, who was a abducted and ultimately murdered teen in the area. So, you know, not the person they were looking for, but it still did lead to to that person being recovered. So like 1971 was kind of a big year for people <laughs> being abducted and murdered in forests. Oh, man. <laughs> people forget that i guess uh so monetary rewards go out obviously for for any uh you know for any tips uh that that lead to anything for any recovery of any money uh because they had uh, they had the money serial numbers logged and ready to go um as far as uh you know as soon as it comes into circulation they'll be able to identify that that's why he should have been paid in bitcoin yeah untraceable untraceable (laughs) Um, but that, that, that doesn't turn up anything that those, those monetary rewards are in effect until 1974, nothing, they, they didn't found anything. Nothing's, nothing's turning up until 1980 when, uh, when a young eight-year-old, um, is on the, on a beach there in Washington. Wait, I can, uh, let me guess. And he becomes the youngest ever sheriff in that beach town's history <laughs> and solves the case. Close. Okay. His name is Brian Ingram, and he found part of the ransom money on a beach in Vancouver, Washington. Two packets of $120 bills and one of $90 $20 bills. Um, so that's raises some questions it's like where because that's about it's miles away from where they thought the initial drop zone was according to the flight path and everything like that and when they look at like a river analysis from where it dropped it's the way that the river flows it's it's kind of like impossible for the money to have gotten there via the river so they're like that's strange maybe we were off on where this guy jumped out out of after all it's the 1970s. It's not like they had like the the greatest you know real time technology that we have now yeah. to track these sorts of things. Maybe we were off. Maybe it happened elsewhere. Um, 
anyway, but, but it, it raises a lot of questions because it's like, well, where's the rest of the money? There's still 9,710 individual bills uh, that are still at large that, uh, that, that we haven't seen. So it, it definitely is a clue. It offers some information of, you know, maybe the money blew out of the plane and landed there, or maybe it was planted there, but it, it really, it at least points them to a general direction of that. They think that DB Cooper, um, you know, did jump out in that area. Um, but here's another interesting detail. So at this point in 1980, he's still at large, you know, there's, okay. there's no sign of this guy. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so we're in 1980, but people think that he may have been found in 1972 what by uh, because there was another fellow named Richard McCoy who did this exact same stunt on a flight from Denver to Los Angeles who demanded $500,000 and parachuted out of an airplane and brought the money back to his house in uh Provo Utah and ultimately died in a firefight with the FBI. And so people thought, is this a copycat guy? The similarities definitely are there as ter- in terms of pattern, but they're really, you know, there's no evidence like concretely linking them to one another. Um, uh, images, uh, mugshot images of Richard McCoy are compared with the sketch of D.B. Cooper. They look similar, but the flight attendants and uh, pilots said that the, that was they maintained that it wasn't the same person, at, at least to, uh, to their initial thoughts. So there are a whole host of other suspects or people because, you know, I'll just spoil it here. This rages on for years and years and years until 2016. This Whoa. case was open. They Whoa. never they never find anyone associated with this they never find any evidence of dan cooper landing anywhere they never find a parachute at what point do you just like get away with it like they just move on close the case yeah i mean essentially that's like after 1980 there was no new evidence that was i think after 10 10 maybe 15 years you should just be free of any charges uh-huh um just because it's like yeah fold it off good job the- yeah, I know. And especially and it, like because- when you were planning your crime, you weren't thinking that like, oh, in 2016, they were going to have a bunch of technology that could like pin this back on you. You know, it was 1971. That's mm-hmm. just not fair. Mm-hmm. That's not fair. You should be allowed to commit crimes in your generation. Yes. Yeah. No. Uh, what stays in. Oh, or they should only be allowed to use technology from like 1980 maximum to solve the crime. Yeah. If they want to go after <laughs> old cases. Well, I mean. That's that's the thing is that you're right. At what point is it just kind of a sunk cost of like, all right, we've spent more money and time on this than he even stole from us in the first place. And, you know, like if you were clever enough to get away with this, especially because he didn't harm anybody, like nobody was hurt, nobody was killed, nobody was injured in any of this aside from the emotional toll. Well, yeah, you got to keep in mind mental health. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be traumatizing. That was pretty insensitive of you. My apologies. Uh, um, <laughs> so anyway, through the years, different things are discovered at different points. Uh, you know, like uh, 
uh, a play card printed with instructions for lowering the stairs is found by a deer hunter in Castle Rock, Washington, which is along the flight path there. Uh, so just different things like that turn up. And um, more and more people or lots of people over the years have a relative or a husband or someone like that that um, confesses kind of on their deathbed or in a moment of secrecy that they were Dan Cooper, that they were the person who did it. And, and, you know, those tips get sent to the FBI and they're looked at. And the thing is, is like the sketch drawing looks just like so many different people. Like when you hold them side by side to these people, it's like, well, this guy was just a generic dude. Yeah. Total generic dude, you know, uh, really blended in. So, but the most likely theory is that he passed away. Uh, while doing the the jump because um, the parachute that he selected was one that was older of the two. Like it wasn't the the most up-to-date one. So he chose the technically inferior one, but it's one that they thought maybe if this guy was in the military, which they thought maybe he could be because, or could have been in the past, because while they were circling over Seattle, he commented on the Tacoma air base and how far away it was from Seattle, something that not everybody would necessarily know, you know, asking for technical parachute things, knowing the exact sort of flight patterns that needed to be flown at in order for him to have the necessary jumping conditions given the plane. Um, so they thought maybe he was uh, a paratrooper in the past or something like that, but they thought at the same time, maybe not because if you're someone who has extensive experience like that, the conditions that you choose to do so are not going to be in the pitch black rain with 172 mile an hour winds in the Pacific Northwest when you're just wearing a suit and tie and you have no visibility of where you're jumping to. Like you could be jumping into a lake for all you know, or you could be in the forest with no way out. And, and, you know, so, cause some people can, uh, theorized that maybe he was conspiring with someone below ready to pick him up or something like that but you know there was no visibility or, or anything like that in my mm -hmm. mind so i think that rules it kind of out of hand so i think the most likely is that he passed away but during during the fall or during the jump rather but because there's no evidence that he died nobody's ever found any of the money except for the basically $5,000 that turned up on the shore. But, you know, where's the rest of the money? You know, it, none of it ever showed up otherwise or anything along those lines. So it really mm -hmm. is a mystery. And the, the HBO documentary that I watched, The Mystery of D.B. Cooper, you know, it goes over a few different suspects and has interviews with them. And like, you really can start to believe you know some of them of like oh well but like i could see why you would think this you know maybe maybe it was so you know if you if you're fascinated by this story you know i definitely would recommend uh watching uh that documentary but it's just it's really fascinating because it's it's a it's a harmless crime ultimately again he didn't hurt anybody physically um there there were no injuries there were no deaths or anything like that and it's just it's just such a cool thing since there was just so little evidence. There was so little mis there's so much mystery surrounding it as far as could someone get away with this? 
you know, this other person, Richard McCoy, who did the copycat thing, definitely proved that like someone could, you could survive doing this because he survived. He got to his home mm-hmm. in, in Provo and stuff. So, so maybe DB Cooper is out there. What do you think, Dan? Do you think that the, the guy survived? And in, in- well, can I ask what happened in 20? You said the investigation went until 2016. What happened in 2016? They just cl- closed the case officially. Okay. They, they gotcha. were like, I thought, I thought they found him then. No, no, no. Um, I'd like to believe he survived. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to believe he survived and, um, yeah, just went on to live a very productive life, you know, probably, I don't know, going, living in a small town along the beautiful, uh, beaches that Washington has to offer. Uh, you know, a lot of people <laughs> don't think about wash, uh, beaches when they think about Washington, but you'd be surprised, you know, that coastline is covered with amazing beaches. Uh, if you want to learn more about that, Check out our state travel series with Mike Moe from Washington. Um, he'll tell you everything you need to know. But, uh, I mean, it's very fascinating. You know, yeah. I, I do wish we had more details on, you know, whether whether he was found, what, what did happen. Um, but I guess not. I guess not. I, w- I would like to think he survived and yeah, pulled a quick one on everybody. He seemed to be pretty well-versed in calm and knew what he was doing so yeah i would too i'll i'll send you a picture and you know we'll post this on our on our twitter page too uh along with the the picture of uh of db cooper the sketch there because it's, it's just kind of ominous uh, you know it, again it could look like anyone uh really you can you can convince yourself of these sorts of things so you know certainly a different time you know you're just I'm gonna able to quote tweet that once you post the picture uh-huh. i'm gonna quote you saying it can look like anyone and then just like drop a bunch of pictures of celebrities that look nothing like him. <laughs> like, does he look like Beyonce? Close, close. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I thought this was just a fun topic to kind of do our first deep dive on, um, mm-hmm. you know, apologies if it was a, a little clunky, but I just learned about no, it. It was very investigated good. last night, but again, I'll put some links in the description to the, to the documentary there. So you can, you can look at it. Uh, you can definitely, uh, send us an email or shout us out on Twitter of of what you think uh, happened to Dan Cooper if he survived, um, yeah, or, or what your thoughts are on the case, and if there are any other cases that you kind of want us to do any deep dives on or talk about in future episodes on Wednesdays. Otherwise, Dan, anything else for the good of the cause, for the good of the pod, before we say goodbye for the day? I mean, you 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 killed it. That's about it, really. That's about it. Um, yeah. All right. Well, as I said, you can reach out to us on our email or Twitter. Twitter is at lightningrndpod, and our email address is lightningroundpod with Dan and Al at gmail.com. Until tomorrow. Peace. Yeah.